0: Hello, Sunnybrook family. thankful that you are here joining us whenever you join us and however you join us. Um, This morning or this afternoon or whenever you watch this, we're going to be continuing our worship today together. And we're gonna do that in a number of ways. Uh, We're gonna sing together here in a moment. This time the the words will be on the screen and we're thankful that we can um, sing and worship God in this way and we want you to join in and participate however you feel led. Um, we also are going to hear from the Word. We're going to hear it read over us. Um, Jim is going to continue on in a sermon in, in our sermon series, the Lost Words of God, and um, and so I'm thankful that we get to continue in this way and do it together. And then we're also going to sing after that a little bit more. Um, and then and then we're going to continue on in a time of communion in which we want to encourage you to be ready for that, have your stuff prepared if you want to partake in communion together, and then and then also a time for giving at the end. Now, all of this is done just as an attempt to stay connected and to stay together as we continue to take each day and each week, one, one day and one week at a time together. Again, we're thankful that you're here, thankful that you're joining with us, and we pray that God will continue to be blessed and honored by our time together.
1: stronger than the power of the great constant in the trial and the change The one thing remains this one The trial and the change. This one thing remains. This one thing remains. You Your love.
2: from Matthew 17, starting in verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him, but so we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and you. This is the word of the Lord.
3: I can't believe that Jesus just said that. I'm sure those thoughts, or maybe even those words, were said by the disciples. (laughs) Maybe not to Jesus, but I can imagine them gathering together and shaking their heads or scratching their heads, trying to understand what Jesus meant or what the implications of what Jesus just said was going to mean to them. Jesus' words many times to his disciples, to his opponents, to the crowds, were surprising, shocking, even offensive. Good morning, we are going to pick up our series on the lost words of God today, and we are going to be in Matthew chapter 17, dealing with a story that you might remember, you've probably heard of this, but it's not one of those miracles that we preach quite often, and it is going to be dealing with a a very surprising statement that Jesus makes to Peter when Peter speaks for him about whether or not he pays the temple tax, As I said, it's found in Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 24, and Jesus has already spoken to his disciples some rather deeply offensive words. Uh, Matthew records just previously in verses 22 and 23 of our text that as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, and these are hard words to hear, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and on the third day he will be raised up. Matthew records that they and he was one of them were deeply distressed by these words of Jesus. So Jesus obviously is not afraid to share difficult words. He is willing to speak the truth. He's not trying to raise popular opinion and he's not trying to just gather a crowd. Jesus is on mission. Let's look at how the story unfolds folds. It's just a few verses. And beginning in verse 24, Matthew records when they came to Capernaum. Now, now that matters because that's not down in Jerusalem where there's a lot of animosity and difficulties. It's not even in the place where the temple exists, but it's Capernaum, a place where Peter and Matthew, uh, or Peter and Jesus, would actually consider it to be their hometown. Uh, you can actually go there to this day and, and see the house possibly where Peter himself actually lived. They had been traveling in the area since chapter 13 when uh, Matthew began recording a number of different sayings that Jesus was giving to his disciples. They've traveled to the region of the Decapolis or the name of the 10 cities. They traveled northwest up to the cities of Tyre and Sidon. Then they came back down along the east side of Galilee where there's a number of Gentiles. They traveled more to the western side of the sea to the city of Magdala and now they're back in their hometown Capernaum those who collected the temple tax, Matthew records. Most likely, local Jewish tax collectors had actually traveled from the south all the way up to that region to collect the tax for the temple. And then obviously, Matthew, being a tax collector himself, is the only one that records this, maybe because it piqued his attention or shocked his sensitivities. Matthew records doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? That's a question that's being raised. Probably a better way to, to look at that is your teacher pays the temple tax, doesn't he? Assuming, and you can even tell in the construction of the sentence they are assuming a a yes answer is going to be given to this. Most likely, the tax that is being described here is the tax that was self-imposed by Nehemiah and the church leaders in Jerusalem. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 32 and 33, where the leaders have come together and they are building the temple and they're trying to come up with the, the money and the resources during a very difficult time to make sure that the house of God is built and then sustained. This is a self-imposed tax. We don't find this being prescribed in the law of Moses. But this tax was the equivalent of about two days wages. And what happens here? Peter reaffirms the collectors without ever asking Jesus. I think that's important. Without ever going to Jesus and saying, hey, by the way, Jesus, do we pay this tax? Some wonder whether or not Jesus has paid this tax before. But most likely, Peter is just assuming, well, of course Jesus would. And therefore, this next statement is rather interesting. Um, Jesus either, either overheard them, but he didn't need to. Jesus knew what Peter had said to him. And then Jesus sees this as an opportune time to instruct Peter of a couple of very important lessons. It says in the text, Jesus spoke to him first. Jesus doesn't wait for Peter to come and ask the question. Matthew underlines the fact that it is Jesus that confronts, and I, I don't mean that in like a, a, a strong or an argumentative way, but Jesus is the one who confronts the situation, not about his response. He doesn't say, Peter, how dare you speak for me? Or, boy, you got that wrong. He, he, is, he is talking to Peter, using this as an opportunity to teach him the importance of why he should or shouldn't pay the tax, tax, and then how specifically Peter needs to think about this tax, and, and maybe even some of the things that it symbolizes. Jesus' question to Peter goes like this: "Who pays taxes to the king?" So imagine Jesus is saying to Peter that we were in a king governing a uh, a country situation, and the king were to levy a tax to all of its uh, citizens. Do the princes, do do those within the royal family, are they obligated to pay the tax? That's what he's getting at. And the answer to this question is quite simple. No, like the prince, the son of the king, or even the sons and daughters of the king would never have to pay that tax. Only foreigners, only strangers, those who are family are clearly exempt. And this is important. Because what Peter is, what Jesus is helping Peter understand is that there are obligations that we have, and then there are obligations that we don't have that we pick up for the sake of others. And so Jesus wants Peter to know that it's not about, do I have to pay the tax or do I not have to pay the tax? It's standing back and looking, question number one, do I have to pay this tax? No. No would it somehow be of assistance to others should I pay this tax? It's interesting. Some people pay out of obligation and others pay out of a debt of love or a debt of surrender to those people around them. And so this is what Jesus is driving at. Notice how this final section here, Matthew records the words of Jesus. But so we don't offend them. And that's what Jesus is driving at here. So we don't offend them. Jesus wants Peter to know that the reason Jesus pays this tax is out of a love and care for those people who are struggling with Jesus' teaching. The, the word used to describe and explain what Jesus is intentionally trying to do here as, so that we do not offend is actually the word scandalon, Where we would get the word scandal. The word is used actually throughout the gospel, and it isn't always bad. In fact, it is the natural effect of the truth about Jesus and the good news of sharing about the coming kingdom of God. Jesus makes the disciples keenly aware of the fact that offenses are a natural part of their lives living in a world that is in opposition to them. And so a couple of lessons that we learn from this rather strange story, because what happens? Jesus says to Peter, listen, I don't have to pay this. But so that we don't offend, so that we don't cause others to stumble, so that we don't cause others to fall, why don't you go out and, and throw a line in and catch a fish? Don't, I don't want you to catch a lot of fish. I want you to throw out a line. I want you to catch a fish, and then inside that fish is going to be basically a, enough two days wages, a rather strange coin uh, equivalent, and you're going to find it in that fish's mouth, and God will have provided for the tax that we didn't have to pay but that we voluntarily surrendered our rights so that others might not be offended. This is Jesus. And I love the fact that he gives us some very real truths uh, that we can live by. First of all, Jesus teaches us that, and when you look at his ministry as a whole, that offenses cannot be avoided completely, nor even should they be. Jesus, often in his ministry, was the one who offends. Again, tracing this word throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see that Jesus' ministry, the things that he did, by the nature of what he was doing, actually offended, scandal on, offended his cousin John the Baptist. If, if you remember the story, this is earlier in Matthew's Gospel. We, we see that John is struggling with the fact that while he is in prison, and he has preached this message of God's judgment is coming and God is going to hold you accountable and particularly the religious leaders who are not living lives of, repent, lives of repentance, but are just lives of show hypocritically in front of others. And, and John is struggling because Jesus is hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. John, John is struggling with the fact that Jesus is eating and drinking. And so Jesus points out, without changing his ministry, Jesus points out in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, he's asked the question by the disciples of John, are you really the one, can you tell that Jesus' ministry was causing a struggle or a difficulty in John? And instead of Jesus going, well, I am, I'm so sorry, John, I'll, I'll do it your way. No, Jesus stays on task, focused, committed, to the will of the father. Matthew records in chapter 11, verse six. Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised and the poor are told the good news. Now, in, in those verses, Jesus is actually kind of writing or re, re, uh, uh, reciting from part of the text where John found his calling, John coming in the spirit of Elijah, in the, in the power of the, the coming kingdom. And he is quoting sections within Isaiah that are describing this one coming, preparing the way for the Lord. So Jesus is answering his question, John, I know you don't see it. I know the way that I am doing ministry is difficult but do not lose heart. And then Matthew records in verse 6, and blessed is the one who isn't scandalon, who isn't offended by me. While the truth about Jesus and his ministry isn't up to, for debate or modification, even by those closest to Jesus. Jesus did not leave heaven and then come down into this earth in order to please people or have his ministry merely conformed to the hopes and the dreams of people, Jesus is in this constant struggle of speaking the truth to his disciples, to the crowds, to his opponents. And there is no room for the call of God upon his life and the actions that he is doing and then the teaching that he is giving to ever be compromised. No offenses cannot be avoided all the time, and nor should they be. We see another very interesting verse. When Matthew is recording the teaching of Jesus in chapter 13, Jesus has just spoken uh, this message at the synagogue, and it says this, after Jesus had spoken, telling the truth, the difficult truth, the offensive truth about who he is. Matthew chapter 13, look at verses 57 and 58. And they were offended by him, Jesus said to them. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. It's good for us to be reminded. And by the way, I still want us to be thinking about the story in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus says to Peter, but so that we don't offend anyone, I can't believe Jesus just said that. We've just come through encounter after encounter where Jesus was clearly not afraid to offend others. Jesus' ministry offended the people in his hometown. Jesus' ministry even offended those in his own family. And by the way, he makes sure his disciples are very aware, also in Matthew chapter 13, that living out the gospel and the implications of the gospel creates a tension that cannot be avoided. Matthew chapter 13, verse 21. Notice this is in the parable of the the sower, sowing out the seed, throwing out the seeds. It describes a kind of seed. And here's what Jesus says in verse 21. Let's read this, verse 21. But this particular seed has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes, Because of the word, immediately he falls away. He is so deeply um, offended, bothered, troubled that he gives up. Jesus explains in this very famous parable that the reality of the gospel being lived out by his disciple is going to naturally grind against the ideas and the philosophies and the way of living in this world. Jesus is describing people in this particular kind of soil who, and listen to how he describes it, people who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. But, so Jesus is telling his disciples, um, there, are, there are those that you're going to see. There are those that we are experiencing right now as these crowds spring up and I stand over them and I pronounce a blessing. Blessed, of tho- blessed are those of you who are. And the people are just eating this up. And the disciples, I'm sure, are growing in excitement as their movement continues to grow and to spread. And Jesus is sending out his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and 11. And he's saying, listen, it's going to be difficult. And I want you to know that there are going to be those who hear it and immediately receive it with joy. But what does he say? Because of distress or persecution, Luke records because of the worries that are going on in this life, they quickly fall away. The truth about Jesus changes those who follow Jesus. And this change changes and you and I, naturally puts us in opposition against the world and where we live. And something has to give. Many are naturally offended by the truth of Jesus and the demands of what it means to live obediently to him. And they grow tired. And they wonder if it's worth it. Actually, if we're honest... We wonder if it's worth it as times become more difficult or as the uncertainty level rises and you and I might be thinking, but real life demands a different kind of way or a different kind of living. Real life demands that we approach our relationships, maybe not in the utopian way that Jesus is describing them, but more of a natural, this is just the way that it needs to be, especially in times like this where people begin to take care of themselves first, (laughs) going to the store and making sure that their needs are cared for first, And Jesus is pointing out to his disciples. No, the kind of way that you are living isn't always going to be loved and appreciated and it's definitely not going to be easy for you. And yet, the truth about who I am and the truth about what the gospel are not going to change. So back to Jesus. Jesus knows the reality of the difficulty of believing in him and of following him. And Jesus knows that none of that can change, but is in fact this, this, this grind or this rub or this natural offense, it is in fact a sign of the hope of salvation that you and I have found and also the sign of salvation. It makes it very, very clear that what we're believing is true when the way that we live and the way that we put others first just isn't the natural way. It, it brings life to our witness And it even brings confirmation, if we're going to be honest, in terms of our own hearts and our own minds. We have peace with God through our faith in the truth about Jesus. We experience that peace even when facing the hard realities of life. In the midst of disappointment and frustration and anxiety, distractions, depression, we have all of this in Jesus when we are devoted to help others experience what we have in him. We move through the obstacles. We move through the difficulties because of the peace that we have in him. And it doesn't make our disappointment go away It brings a peaceful context to it. It doesn't make our our anxieties just melt away. It just, it gives us something in the midst of our concerns. And this is who Jesus is. And this is what he has called us to. And Jesus wants his disciples to be very, very aware. Offense is going to come. I am going to be a real reason for that offense. And the message that you're living and even the lives that you're living are going to be a natural and difficult Struggle that you're going to go through, but trust in me. Believe in me. And I, I can't help but think that this miracle that Jesus gives to Peter is going to help him in the future. So if offenses are going to come, and yet in Matthew chapter 17, he's trying to make it very clear so that we don't offend others, what's happening here? And I think Jesus is saying, in a way, like if there are going to be offenses, and there are let those offenses be me. Let the offense in our lives, in the ways in which we live, let it be Jesus and the gospel. Matthew chapter 17, verse 27, again, looking at our text, Jesus says to Peter, but so that we don't offend, cause others to struggle unnecessarily, Go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, take out the first fish that you catch, and when you open its mouth, you'll find a coin, take it and give it to them for me and you. Jesus, through this miracle, which by the way, we we never hear exactly what happens. There's no account, and Matthew's the only one that records this, as I said earlier, there's no account of Peter going out and actually doing this. We just assume that's what happens. And Jesus adds nothing to the truth about him to those who follow him. He doesn't want them to add to them another burden. Jesus actually says, when you want to come and follow me, I will make it so that your burden is easy, that the load is light. Notice the shocking love of Jesus as he cares for those in this idea of let us not cause an unnecessary offense. Notice the love of Jesus on those who are most likely not even willing to follow him. The them is most likely the, those tax collectors or those down in Jerusalem. And Jesus is basically saying, I don't want to offend them unnecessarily. These tax collectors, but it also, I think, includes the Pharisees. Th- this includes not only John the Baptist's cousin, but it also includes Jesus's mother and brother's. It includes his own disciples. I I don't want to come here. I don't have a desire to come and to add on you rules and obligations and a way of living that is unnecessarily difficult for me and who I am is enough. It is enough for you to find in me and to hold on in me the truth about me because the truth about me and the truth about the way that I'm living is going to naturally be offense in the places where we live. Jesus gave Peter a teaching and a miracle so that he might remember the importance of treating others as God has treat, as God treats us. Now, it's interesting that when you look at this parable, and, and as I said, Matthew's the only one that has recorded this, this principle is actually lived out, not just um, in the lives of the disciples, but in a future disciple. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of letting Jesus and letting the gospel be the offense. To the church at Corinth, Paul makes two very powerful and yet deeply personal statements about the natural struggle that can exist when we live with one another. Paul records in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 29, he, he is describing a a period of things that he gives up, a period of sacrifices that he has actually gone through. And then at the end of that list, he says, and not to mention other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. And so I'm sure even in situations like we're going through now, Paul is not only praying for the immediate concerns of those around him, but he's thinking of the uh, the effects and the difficulties of being a faithful witness in the Roman world. What a great reminder for us today to not only be focused on the concerns of our families and the concerns of those immediately around us or in our own um, our community or even state, but recognizing the needs that exist and be praying for the needs that exist and help supplying the the necessary uh, support for the needs that exist all throughout our state, country, and even world. But the apostle says, but who is weak, verse 29, and I am not weak. And who is made to stumble? Again, that's that word for uh, to find offense. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. What, what Paul is saying there is like, I'm just, I'm deeply troubled. I'm deeply disturbed when I find out that there are those who are weak, who are falling, who are tripping, who are stumbling. And Paul desires that that would never be anything that he does. He cares deeply for those who are in the midst of a struggle, facing the temptation, the offense of life, the, the, the difficulty of holding true to, uh, holding to the teachings of Jesus Christ, the implications of the gospel. And, and Paul says, I am just um, deeply moved, deeply compassionate when they struggle. Paul says in another time to the church in Corinth, if you look back in 1 Corinthians chapter one, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter eight, verse 13, Paul says, therefore, if food, and that's the idea of him eating food that's been sacrificed to idols, if this particular food causes my brother or sister to be offended, to to fall, to stumble, to be scandalized, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. In a time when everyone else has an opinion and now those opinions are made known, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that this is the truth. We are free to eat as we like, but because we live alongside others, we, in order to not offend them unnecessarily, we willingly forego our own rights to demonstrate our obedience to Jesus Christ and the natural love that we have for one another. How much more so in our time when Everyone has an opinion, and now that opinion is really easily made public. And also we believe that all opinions are equal. How do you and I say, listen, I I gotta make sure that these thoughts that I'm having don't stand front and center, but I I realize there are some greater truths, some deeper truths that I need to make sure stand front and center. I I can't help but think, especially in this town, that there is a a dividing line. I've even seen the license plate, house divided with OU and OSU fans. Um, And I bet you that plays out not only in terms of the uh, the adult world, but especially with kids on the playground. What team do you support? And I choose this team and you choose that team. I, I actually believe that a lot of this dividing line mentality of choosing sides mentality is actually developed and worked out on the playground at recess. When you pick your team and I pick my team, and then as we grow up, maybe we don't grow up, and I don't mean that in a good way, and our interests begin to divide us, and then those interests become more firmly entrenched as that spreads into our social ideas and things that we believe about politics, red state, blue state, red Christian, blue Christian, uh, about what we believe in terms of economic policy? Or, or how about how we parent? You know there's a right way to parent, and it's, by the way, my way. Or even the ways that we spiritually express ourselves, our, our devotion to, to different things as we are working out what the Holy Spirit is doing in each and every one of us. There are ideas and opinions that we have, and it's amazing how much you and I when left to ourselves, can begin to take those opinions and make them rules, make them the right way in which things need to be done. And yet in this text, Jesus says, I I, I don't even need to pay this tax. And then he surrenders that right in order to not offend. What an incredible lesson for us. Jesus points out to Peter and then looks at us and says, our opinions are surrendered. My preferences are surrendered. My conclusions that I have that seem so clear, and it's just that the issue doesn't matter as much. My conclusions, my reasoning are all subject to Jesus' teaching and therefore are surrendered and keeping us from making smaller things into the most important things. I'm beginning to see, in just the last few days, more and more conversations about groups of people with divergent ideas and positions and opinions coming together, and it's good to see. But I hope this is a lesson that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, had already learned. Jesus warned the Pharisees about making it hard for their followers to follow them. And Jesus says, that was just not me. It's not about being careful, by the way. It's really about being intentional. It is about holding up who Jesus Christ and his mission as front and center and then realizing that my opinions about this powerful truth, who Jesus Christ is, and the mission and the kingdom of God, my opinions come along after that and are always willing, I'm willing, you're willing, we're willing to surrender them To the greater purposes. Let us be committed and united in putting Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. What does this look like as I close? It looks like Jesus. Paul made this statement to the church in Philippi Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests. Can we hear that today in our present crisis? Everyone should not only look out for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what Jesus is doing in Matthew 17. That's what Jesus is asking Peter to do. That's what he's asking us to do. It looks like Jesus, and when we see this being lived out, it's not just it looks like Jesus. When we begin to model his sacrifice and his surrender, we look like Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And here's our challenge this morning, Sunnybrook. I want to deeply encourage you that during this particular time when we might be tempted to pull back or we might be tempted to put ourselves first or we might be tempted with a one way to cause a a better solution to this or one way that we might uh, make a better difference here that we would remember that it is Jesus first. Philippians chapter two, verse five, we look like Jesus when, Paul says, we adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And I pray that that's us. I pray that you and I are living that out, that you and I are demonstrating from this very bizarre and strange miracle that Jesus moves beyond what he has to do. This is his entire life. He moves beyond what he has to do and he asks, what can I do to demonstrate the love of God to you and for you? May that be our heart. May that be our goal. And may others in the community around us right now see us living that out.
1: Stand up for all you, Jesus. You're my hope, and I cannot stand up for all of you, Jesus. You're my.
4: Thank
2: We now come to the point in our service where we gather together at many different tables for communion. While we're not all in the same room this week, that's always been true with us and believers around the world. This is that one thing that we can always do every single week that connects us not only to Christ himself but to the rest of his body. If you haven't had time yet, I encourage you to pause the video and go and grab some bread or some crackers and some juice while we share this meal together. No matter what, whenever fear rules the day or concern or anxiety rules the day, or when everything is fine and we can be as carefree as we need to, we still have to remember that we did need saving. And so we gather today and we remember the body given for us. And the blood. Again, when everything is fine, we still desperately need this blood to save us. And it was given for us 2,000 years ago. So drink in remembrance of this sacrifice. I wanna remind you um, that we still um, have opportunities to give to the ministries at Sunnybrook. We, we have ongoing ministries uh, even in this time, but we also have missionaries that we're supporting. And so I would encourage you not only in your giving to remember them, but to remember them in your prayers as they sort out what this looks like all around the world. You can give a number of ways. You can mail a check to the church. You can go to the church website to give online, or you can even follow the texting instructions here below on your screen. Whichever it is you choose to do, I, ch- I hope that you would give joyfully,
5: and out of your love for the Lord and his work here on earth. We've come to the end of another service, and uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, as always, we want to end in prayer and invite you to pray with us um, as one body in many places. Father God, master of the universe and Savior of our souls, we come to you this morning as a grateful people. Uh, so thankful that you've chosen to uh, make us your children, to forgive our sins, to provide us uh, a way of escape, to give us Jesus. Right now, it's been tough going through uh, what the unknown and to, to be a part of that as a family. And so this morning, I ask that you would give us a spirit of humility, one that would uh, reach out to others, that would value others more than ourselves. And I'm reminded of the acrostic that hung on my mother's wall uh, for the word joy. Jesus first, others second, and then a small mirror that pointed out you last. So I just ask that uh, we would have creativity in reaching out to brothers and sisters, to reaching out to our neighbors, to reaching out to, Father, people we have not met yet, to be able to meet their needs, to be your arms and to be your feet. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. And uh, I just pray that during this time that you would be glorified by the work of your church, your people. We love you, and it's our job to bring honor and glory to you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would like to consider the conversation that's begun this morning in the scriptures, or if you have any questions or needs, please contact the church. Have a great week.